Yevamot, Perak Yodalef, Mishnah Hes. So now the Mishnah will discuss the laws of a Kohen and his slave who were mixed up as children. Kohenet, Shinit Arev, Velada, Bivlad, Shivchatas. So let's see how the child of a Kohen's wife who became mixed up with the child of her slave woman. So it's not known which boy is the Kohen and which boy is the slave. The law is that each one must be treated as a possible Kohen as well as a possible slave. Therefore, the following laws apply to them. Hare Elo Achlim They may both eat Tzrumah since both a Kohen and a slave of Kohen are entitled to eat Tzrumah. But they receive one portion of Turuma at the threshing floor where Turuma is given out. That is, they receive Turuma only when they come together, since we do not give Turuma directly to a Kohen slave in public setting unless his master comes along with him. So the rabbis decree that a Kohen slave may receive Turuma only in the presence of his master so that people not mistake the slave for Kohen and permit him to marry a Jewish woman. When people see his master with him, they will realize he's a slave. Therefore, in our case, when one of the children is a slave and the other one is his master, both of them must be present to receive a portion of Turuma at the threshing floor. They may both not be become. They both may not become tameh through contact with the dead, since one of them is a kohen who is forbidden to become tameh through a dead person. Since this is biblically forbidden for kohen, it is forbidden for questionable kohen as well, because there's a rule that one must avoid even the possibility of biblical violation. They may both not marry. Get, they be, they they both may not get married to any woman. Either to a woman who's fit, who's permitted to marry a regular Jew, and to, um, who's forbidden to marry a slave, or to a woman who's unfit to marry a regular Jew who are forbidden to marry a Kohen. The state of doubt prevents either one of them from marrying because there is no woman who's permitted to be a Jew and a slave. An ordinary Jewish woman is forbidden to a slave, and a non-Jewish slave woman who may marry a slave is forbidden to a Kohen. Now we'll continue with the same case and explains how their laws are affected when the slave is free, freed. Higdi so If the mixed-up children grew to adulthood of a shikhru, and freed each other. So the father of the mixed-up Kohen died, so that one of these children inherited his father and now owns the other one. When these boys became adults, adults they gave each other a bill of freedom so as to remove the question about their status. Thus, regardless of which one was their master and which of the slave, both are now free men. So, so now, so now the slave, whichever one he he, he is, has the status of Israel. So, the, so now they freed each other. So basically, the slave, whichever one it is, is the status of Israel. The laws that each one must be treated as a possible Kohen as well as a possible Israel. Therefore, the following laws now apply to them. They may both marry women, but only those who are fit to a Kohen. Okay, because each one is possibly a Kohen. They may still not become Tamir through contact with the dead for the same reason. However, they do become Tamir, even deliberately. They do not receive the penalty of 40 lashes. Since each one of them can claim he was not a Kohen, we cannot punish a person for questionable violation. Because normally a Kohen who willfully becomes Tamir to a dead person receives the punishment of Malkot. Okay, um, so, so, but essentially we don't punish someone out of doubt. Um, questionable violation. Before they freed each other, they were both allowed to eat Tzrumah, since even the slave of Kohen ate Tzrumah. Once they freed each other, this is no longer the case. The Mishnah details this new status regarding Tzrumah. They may not eat Tzrumah because one of them is now a freed slave who is forbidden to eat Tzrumah. But if they did eat Tzrumah, they do not have to pay the principal, okay, the value of the eaten Tzrumah, plus an additional fifth to a Kohen, since each one can claim he is a Kohen and not required to pay. So a non-Kohen who eats Tzrumah by mistake must give a Kohen of his choice an amount of produce equal to that which he ate plus a penalty of a fifth. In our case, each of the men is exempt from this payment if he ate Tzrumah because each can claim he's in fact the Kohen. Since it cannot be proven that the Tzrumah was not rightfully his, he does not have to pay in accordance with the rule Hamotzime Chavreo Alaf Haraya. Okay, so number one, they, need, they do not need to pay the fifth. Okay? 
the, the principal plus the fifth, the Enan Chalkina al they do not receive a portion of Turuma at the threshing floor since they're forbidden to eat it as the, as the Mishnah taught above. So even if both of them come at the same time and request a single portion, arguing that one of them is definitely a Kohen, they do not receive the Turuma because this may lead them to eat it, which is forbidden since one of them is non Kohen. But they may sell to a Kohen the Turuma that they separate from the improduce and the money. Um, from the sale belongs to them, they do not have to give the money to a Kohen. So a Kohen, too, has to separate Turumah from their produce bef- before they can eat the rest, though they can eat, keep the Turumah them- themselves. So clearly, therefore, the questionable Kohen of our Mishnah must each separate Turumah from their own produce. However, they are not required to give it to a definite Kohen, because each one argues to the, to the Kohen, prove that I'm not a Kohen, and you may, not, you may then take the Turumah. Since no Kohen could ever bring such a proof, the Turumah remains in their possession. While they cannot actually eat the Turumah, as the Mishnah taught about, they can benefit from it by selling to a definite Kohen and keeping the money. Now, certain parts of the sacrificial offerings are given to Kohanim. The Mishnah gives the law for these parts in regards to mixed up children once they freed each other. They do not receive a portion of the sacrifices of the temple, such as the highs of the offerings that are given out to the Kohanim who serve in the better Mikdash, since neither of them can prove he is a Kohen and entitled to them. Okay, um, and we do not give them sacrifices to offer in the temple because one of them is an uncle hen who is forbidden to perform the sacrificial service. But we do not remove their own sacrifices, so the Bechor from their possessions to give them to Kohen, since each one can claim he is a Kohen. So the firstborn male of sheep, goats, and cattle born. Uh, in one's flock, known as the Bukhar, must be given to Kohen. In our case, we do not force each of the people to do so because we can each claim they can each claim that he is the Kohen, in which case the Bukhar is his to keep. They also exempt from the obligation to give the foreleg, the jaws, and the stomach of the kosher animals to a Kohen, since each one can claim he is the Kohen. Israel who slaughters a sheep, gox for non-sacrificial purposes, must give the animal's right foreleg, its jaws, and its stomach as a gift to the Kohen. Okay, so the questionable Kohanim of our Mishnah need not give these gifts because each one can argue that he is the Kohen and thus exempt from the requirements. And the Bukhar animal for each shall be left to graze until it develops a blemish that disqualifies it from being brought as an offering and then it may be slaughtered and eaten by the owner. So in temple times, a person who had an animal Bukhar would give it to Kohen and the Kohen would bring it as an offering and its meat. If the Bukhar was born into a flock owned by a Kohen, the Kohen would offer himself and eat the meat. The case of the questionable Kohen's Bukhar, however, is problematic. Since it's possibly Kohen himself, we cannot force him to give it to a definite Kohen, as the Mishnah taught above. And he cannot give it to a definite Kohen to offer it for him on the condition that the meat be returned to him after the sacrificial service has been completed, since he may be a non-Kohen, and a non-Kohen is forbidden to eat the meat of a unblemished Bukhar. To solve this problem, the Mishnah teaches that the owner should leave the animal to graze until it develops a disqualifying blemish. When this happens to a Bukhar, it may be slaughtered in the normal manner and its meats may be eaten by anyone, even on Kohanim, since a blemish Bukhar has no sanctity. Even the law is that a blemish Bukhar too must be given to Kohen. In our case, um, that is a simple, simply a monetary obligation. In our case, therefore, where the owner himself might be a Kohen, there is no requirement to give it to a definite Kohen. So to sum up the laws of the Mishnah, we place upon each of these mixed up sons both the stringencies of Kohanim and the stringencies of Yisraelim. Mishnah Vav. The Mishnah now discusses another case where it is unclear which of the two men is the father of a child and explains how that affects the laws of Yibom and Chalitza. So let's say a woman did not wait three months after being divorced or widowed from her husband. And she married someone else right away, then gave birth to a boy seven months after her marriage, after her second marriage. Okay, so... Um, so basically, she didn't wait three months, and seven months later, she gives birth to a to a son. Um, 
Yeah, okay, fine. So the Ein Yadua in Ben Tishal Rishon or Ben Shiva Lachron, and we do not know who the father is. That is whether the boy was nine months by his mother, whether he, she was, he was carried nine months by his mother. So it could be the child of the first husband, or if it was carried seven months, um, the child of the later husband. Now, besides this child, she also has sons from the first husband and sons from the second husband. Okay, so if he's the son of the first husband, then he and the other sons of that man share the same father and mother, while the sons of the second husband are his brothers only through the mother. If he's the son of the second husband, um, the opposite is true. So this child whose father is unknown grew up, married, and died without children, so that his widow requires a yibum from one of the brothers on the father's side. However, we do not know which ones are his brothers through his father, who must perform yibum and which ones are his brothers only through his mother, who are forbidden to marry the widow since she is an erva to them. The law is that one of the sons of each husband shall perform chalitza with her, but they may not take any yibum because we do not know which of whom she is an erva and similarly he to them. That is, if the known sons of one of the husbands married and died childless, the son whose father is unknown for the same guidelines he performs chalisa with the widows but he may not take the widows in Yibum um, because any of them might be forbidden to him as an erva so we now have a variation so if he the son whose father is unknown had brothers from the first husband and brothers from the second husband who were not from that mother i.e. both husbands have other sons by a different wife so we do not know which set of sons are, have, are his brothers and which are sets are unrelated to him and these sons married and died childless so who he the son whose father is unknown may perform either chalitza or yibum with any of the widows since they are all permitted to him if he's their husband's brother if he's their husband's brother then he's performing yibum with them if he's not the brother of the husband um if he's not the brother of the husband, then they do not have a yavam at all, and they are thus free to marry anyone, including him, either way he may marry them. So for him, but if he married and died childless, the law for them, the sons of the first and second husband, is as follows, one of them, the son of the one of the husbands, performs chalitza with the widow, and then the other the son of the other husband may take her in Yibum. Since we do not know who's truly the dead man's brother, the son of the first husband or the son of the second husband, his widow has a possible Yibum bond to each of them. Therefore, neither of them can perform Yibum to begin with because he might be marrying someone else's Yivama. However, once she receives Khalisa from one of them, she's definitely permitted to perform Yibum with the other one since she's either his Yivama or Yivama who's already been released by Yivama who's not permitted to marry anyone. Have a great day.